Now, Marsha, I may be able to use you, but first, you're going to have to do a little work on yourself. You mean like walking with a book on my head? No, I mean like cutting that mousy hair, capping those teeth, and losing about 30 pounds, my little sausage. How do you feel about breast implants? Cut my hair? Hi, and welcome to When We Were Young, the show where we take a look back at different parts of pop culture that we loved from our formative years, roughly between 1980 and the year 2000, and experience them again today to see if they still hold up. We cover movies, TV, music, anything we enjoyed when we were young, hinted, or that's the name of our podcast, and we hopefully did. it's still as good as we thought it was back then, though that's not always the case. I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to go first, because he's the prettiest. <laughs> I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host most likely to fantasize about repeatedly throwing a football into Christine Taylor's face. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Seth Pearson, the host most likely to be the snack boy at the pool. Nice to meet you, snack boy. <laughs> snack boy, whether I want to be or not. My nose. So if you haven't guessed yet, that means that you are not as familiar with the Brady Bunch movies as we are. <laughs> the cultural touchstone that everybody knows and loves. Um, Snack boy, that's not a household thing where you came up, huh? No? This may be our most kind of obscure episode yet. <laughs> yeah, we don't really care if you love these movies or not because we do. Yeah, guys, all three of us unqualified. Our listeners are going to experience the show as I did. <laughs> where I was just deluged by this series on account of Chris and Becky, really? Uh, we were just watching a movie, and the movie ended, and then we're like, well, we don't want to go home yet, so let's just throw something else on. And then First, okay, first we were going to watch The Suicide Squad, and then none of us would pay $5 for The Suicide Squad. So we I went from The Suicide Squad. I'm not paying $5 for that crap again. We went from The Suicide Squad to The Brady Bunch. <laughs> Somehow that was the closest thing we could get. And then we streamed it. It was available for streaming, and we watched it, and we're like, oh, this is our next podcast. There's no mm -hmm. way it's not. Yeah, throughout the course of the movie, we became more and more convinced, mostly because Becky and I were singing and dancing <laughs> the entire time, and realized that there was probably some material there. To you guys, into. I saw Chris jiggle and wiggle more <laughs> than I ever have in like a million years of knowing him. So it was worth it. And he lived with me. Alone. No, and I lived with, again, I lived with him. Um, yeah, no, it was totally worth it. Um, but I'm, I just said that I just brought that up to say that, like, if anyone needs a, an entry into this franchise, <laughs> it's uh, immersion is the only way. Baptism by fire. Baby. I didn't even fully say what we're doing. We're doing the Brady Bunch movie and a very Brady sequel and not a Brady Bunch in the White House <laughs> no, or the fourth one. What was the fourth one called? That's growing up Brady, which is about the behind the scenes of the Brady Bunch. Oh. It's not even like, oh, well, and that I got snuck on the box a little set. Bit of interest. Oh lord! No, Let's, we can we'll totally that skip that. Um, so yeah, these movies are from 1995 and 1996, and uh, we'll get into that. But first, um, uh, I wanted to make a request. Please continue giving us reviews, five star, if you feel that uh, our podcast is worth five stars. Or four. Four is four is pretty good too. You guys, we have to stop selling ourselves short. We want five-star reviews. Only six, actually. Find a way to add a fucking star or don't bother. Do a five-star review and then do a different account. Do a one-star review. No, again. No. We're inviting danger. We keep inviting. We keep trying to set up our downfall here. We just want your positive reviews. We want your glowing feedback. 
We like your likes. Um, and also, if you give us good reviews and if you give us ratings on iTunes and subscribe to us there, it'll promote our show to more people so that more people get to enjoy this and get to rediscover these things alongside us. There are millions of Brady Bunch movie fans that are not listening to this that could be listening to there this. There are if dozens. Only you could give us five-star reviews. There are dozens. Thousands, we could get millions. dozens more listeners. That's like doubling. So... I'm going to ask a question to my co-host. What did you think was the funniest thing when you were younger? So in this time period between like 95, 96, I was 12, 13. So like roughly around that age, just like what did you think was the absolute funniest thing? Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So Monty Python. This was like, no, but specifically Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It was, that was like... 12, 12, 12-ish, 13, the cusp of, like, 12 and 13. That is such a Seth answer. When I, no, it is the most Seth answer That's mathematically kind of answer possible. I, I saw it at a summer camp for gifted and talented children. <laughs> Jesus. Stop there. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. No, it gets worse. I watched it, like, 13 times. Uh, and I decided it was, like, I. it was the funniest thing. It completely blew my mind and obviously shaped my sensibilities in so many ways. Um, but, yeah, from... That was like exactly the moment for me when that happened. Well, at my gifted and talented uh, <laughs> education, they played the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> did you learn courtroom practice and procedure like I did? No, I didn't. I actually was in a gifted and talented program as well. <laughs> of course you were. Um, in elementary school, <laughs> but we did not watch uh, Monty Python, unfortunately. Um, I mean, at the time of this movie, I definitely thought the Brady Bunch movie was the funniest <laughs> thing in the entire world. Um, we'll go into that a little bit more. But previously to this, I would say it was probably I Love Lucy. I really got into I Love Lucy um, reruns on Nick at Night. And my my Lucy Tuesdays were very special to me. I remember Lucy me. Tuesdays. Yeah. I also watched I Love Lucy. Lucy Tuesdays? Yeah. and it, That's the most precious thing I've wasn't ever Wasn't it like heard? Green Acre Mondays, like Bewitched Mary Wednesdays? Mary Mondays. Mary Mondays. Mary Mondays. Bewitched really Wednesdays. Genie Thursdays. Get Smart was Friday, I think, for a long time. Oh they God. switched it out sometimes. But anyway, yeah, I definitely fell in love with I Love Lucy when I was probably like 11 or 12 or something You know like what? That. that was, I think that happened for me too. I have since like seen literally every episode and there's like almost 200 of them, like multiple times. And I actually recently bought the DVDs just so I could rewatch them because it's my, it's kind of like my, I want to watch something that isn't complicated at all. And yeah. just makes me like happy. It's just and that's, pure joy. Yeah, even though you know there's some problematic uh, sex sexist stuff <laughs> and a, gender just politics. Little, just a little. And yeah. the first season, by the way, has a lot of guns in it. It's what? very strange. There what? are almost every episode has gun play in the first season of I Love Lucy. What? It's very nutty. But anyway, uh, aside from the gun play, I found I Love Lucy very hilarious. Awesome. Um, well, there are three things that were the funniest things to me in the world. Can you guess the first one? <laughs> it's The Simpsons. <laughs> this coming from a person who's had uh, Simpsons costume birthdays. <laughs> you were dressed um, as a Simpsons character yesterday. Yes. <laughs> I also went to another costume party <laughs> <yesterday>. <laughs> Don't act like this is a, when I was young, I used right. to do this. It happened so often that I forget. And she now. also, her last birthday when we were was yesterday. Simpsons yes. themed. Simpsons so I have dressed as a Simpsons character for you specifically. For you. Like so, yeah. literally for you. I mean, it, yeah, it goes off saying The Simpsons. Um, Weird Al. I loved Weird Al. Weird Becky Bankovic. Which we've also talked about. Weird <laughs> Becky Bankovic. He was like the pinnacle of what funny was. 
as far as like music related. Um, and we've talked a lot about how like my mom let me watch, you know, R&D movies, pretty much anything. Snuff films, well, porn. She also was uh, a stand up, a stand up comedian, and we'd watch stand up together. So from a very early age, again, much earlier than I think most people, when they discover stand up, I would go to comedy classes, like stand up comedy classes, with my mom. And I would like watch Comedy Central Presents and Caroline's Comedy Hour on TV. And I would love like Carol Liefer, Paula Poundstone, Ellen DeGeneres, Rosie O'Donnell, um, a lot of women. Surprisingly, now that I like look back on it, it was mm-hmm. more women than than men actually. But, yeah, um, and that's that's earlier than I got into stand up. I got really yeah. into stand up starting around. 13, 14. Yeah, well, this was when uh, I was and, like, and watching Comedy Central like half hours and stuff. Yeah, no, you got into it like really, really early. Yeah, and so that was pretty much what it's I awesome. thought was the funniest thing in the world were those like those stand ups. Yeah. Um, and Weird Al and The Simpsons. <laughs> so, yeah. I have a weird <laughs> that Weird really... Al story that I just like because I didn't know who Weird Al was. And then for some reason, and I think my eighth grade drama class, we had to lip sync to a song. And I just let, like, I got, we must have gotten randomly paired up because I was paired up with someone who wasn't, like, a friend of mine. So when he he wanted to do the Weird Al Gump, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which is a parody of the song Lump, Mm -hmm. I think. I forget exactly. From Presidents of the United States. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I had never heard that song either. So I, like, got those songs confused because I thought that the original song was Gump. And I was like, why is it, like, why is this, like, cool alternative song about Forrest Gump? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And so it took me a while to figure out who Weird Al was, but eventually it did happen. At some point you did. So So I think you were in a different gifted and talented school than I was. (laughs) We were sheltered from actual pop culture. We were learning French and sign language. (laughs) Slow indoor children. So I I wanted to talk about comedies because um, same with Chris, when I saw these movies when I was like 12, 13, and I also thought these movies were the funniest things. And it's just interesting to see what you thought was funny back when you were a little kid and if you still think it's funny today. So we'll get into the Brady <laughs> Obviously movies. Obviously, we do. <laughs> yeah. We have not matured Spoiler. whatsoever. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so some of the top comedy... So these movies from 95 and 96. And some of the okay. top comedies in 95 were Tommy Boy, Clueless, Billy Madison, Toy Story, Friday... Heavyweights, Nine Months, and Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. So that's kind of a sample of where comedy was. It's a pretty diverse slate there. It is, yeah. I mean, there's definitely like the SNL people with Tommy Boy and Billy Madison. Mm -hmm. Um, And like Ben Stiller with Heavyweights was just starting to like come up and and do his own thing. I think Judd Apatow was also involved with that one. So it's just interesting. In 96, um, some of the comedies that were big were Happy Gilmore Jerry Maguire, Mars Attacks, The Birdcage, Space Jam, The Nutty Professor, The Cable Guy, and The First Wives Club. A very diverse way <laughs> there. Very. I made many faces during the reading of those titles. Chris just happy. made a Winona writer of faces during <laughs> yeah. the list. And without us like having a look back at any of these yet on the podcast, I would say a lot of these do hold up. Being I mean, especially funny. Space Jam. Yeah, that was the one that sprang immediately to mind. Like the clueless. website is still. They are one still of the notable best films. They're very least. notable. Yeah. One of the trends that the Brady Bunch movies were a part of were uh, there were a lot of movies in the '90s that were based on TV shows. Yes. <laughs> like a lot. Like this was like a thing. <laughs> um, to give you a sample, another list of movies: Wild Wild West, The Mod Squad, wiki, the, wiki. Aven- the Avengers, The X Files, Lost in Space. Um, and that's Mikhail's Navy. I've never, I've never even heard that one. I think Kelsey Glenn. Like Kelsey, Kelsey yeah, Grammer. Yeah. Kelsey, Gra- <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> can I say his name? Grammar. Kelsey Grammar. As, as far as comedies, uh, Leave It to Beaver, Good Burger, Flipper, The Little Rascals, The Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> I made Jeez. one consistent face throughout the reading of those <laughs> yeah, titles. That was, yeah. That was a straight on frown. <laughs> yeah. Not, not great. Not Almost a- none of those movies are... Hold even on, you good think you'd even at all. Yeah. I saw most of them. No, almost none of them were good at the start. Mikhail's name is terrible. Yeah, after seeing the Brady Bunch movie, I got kind of excited about a lot of those movies because most of them came after. Brady Bunch was one on the early side of those movies. And I remember like the Leave It to Beaver movie that I don't know exactly when that came out, yeah. but I remember being excited because I thought it was going to be kind of the same thing because the Brady Bunch is like a time warp movie where it's funny because they're so out of touch. And I was like, oh, Leave It to Beaver 50s, that's perfect. And I think they kind of tried to sell it that way, but the movie was just a kind yeah. of a dumb family comedy, completely yeah. unlike the Brady Bunch movie. So I did a little research and I tried to come up with where this trend started. And in the late 80s, some TV shows that were turned into movies were Star Trek. Star Trek was actually like being made a lot and, you know, positive reviews. Um, it worked well as a movie. And there was the Twilight Zone movie and there were the there was the Naked Gun, which actually was a TV show. And then it became the Leslie Nielsen spoof. That may have something to do with it, the fact that Naked Gun was successful. But the trend really seemed to kick off in 1991 when in the, the Adams Family. Was that 91? That's a lot earlier than mm-hmm. wow. that was actually. It was that a is huge, earlier than I that huge was. hit. It uh, had a budget of 30 million and it made 113 million domestically and 191 worldwide. So The Addams Family is still an amazing movie. We may have to cover that. We may have to cover both of those because I think the sequel, Addams Family Values, is just as good. Yeah. Um, They're both directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Mm -hmm. Later did Men in Black. And they're just tremendously directed, have an awesome cast. Again, these are so few and far between the examples of adaptations to movies that are even worth a shit initially, but especially ones that hold up at all. Yeah. Well, and like the Brady Bunch, I think the comedy of that one is about the juxtaposition of this like weird family against like the current time. And I think that's what works about it Mm -hmm. is that it's like, it's like, here are these weird characters and everything else is normal. Most of the other ones try and like make it a weird world. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. It's like, they're not, they don't, or they try to go way too wide with it. Yeah. Like, I I don't know if, did you mention the Flintstones? I didn't actually. Wow. How did I miss that? Because that was another one. They got it and they did a couple movies of that and the just. Viva Rock Vegas. Oh man. Yeah, you know what? I tried watching Flintstones the other day. Not the other day, like a few months ago. And it was like on HBO or something. And I was like, sure, let's see how bad this could be. Or who knows? It could be that bad. (laughs) Oh, man. It was just, I would say the production value was good. Uh, They made those props. It was a Steven Spielberg picture. (laughs) (laughs) No, I remember the Flintstones being such a big deal because of the product tie ins and McDonald's. So, like, I was drinking out of Flintstones cups and. It got me excited because it was after Jurassic Park, right? I think maybe like a year or two. So I was like, I don't know. Kind of hoping that. That that dinosaur excitement carried forward. Yeah, even though, I mean, I knew that they were going to be different. But when I saw the Flintstones, I was like, yeah, that's. That's really not like the if same the Flintstones no. had been in like a normal nineties neighborhood, or or if they had if they had had Velociraptors underneath the disposal instead of like a tiny little. But that actually could be like a good movie. Like they are like in it's the present, and then it's like they're trying to like drive a car by like yeah. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not writing the best movie here, but it's, it's like we're with the, their feet for these cheesy cheesy shows. It feels like the best thing that has led to success is taking like a fish out of water thing, yeah, and like putting 
putting them in uh, an environment you wouldn't normally see them in, which is normal, you know. And not trying to shoehorn them into or just like, like the modern world. Or like the Flintstones movies took place in the Flintstones world. And so it just was like felt cheesy versus subversive. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. I'll also like call out George of the Jungle, I think was a pretty good adaptation. Oh, was with it? Brendan Fraser. Like I really liked, I haven't watched that, you know, since I was a kid. But at the <laughs> time I thought it had a little bit of that fish out of water thing too that I think worked for it. Because he okay. eventually ended up back in society and everyone was like, who's this crazy ape man running around? So yeah, that that definitely is the kind of humor that at least speaks to me, and I think most people agree because I think most people find Adam's Family and Brady Bunch a little superior to yes, some of the rest rich. of these movies. So after the Adam's Family became this massive hit, it was like everyone was like, okay. <laughs> like, more, <laughs> everyone was let, like, let, okay. More, please. more. There's an appetite for TV shows, like comedy TV. Are you saying that Hollywood <laughs> saw something that was successful and tried to do it again and uh-huh. again and again? I'm not sure I believe you. I am. This is fake news. <laughs> um, so let's just launch into the Brady Bunch movie. It was released in 1995. It was directed by Betty Thomas. And Betty Thomas had previously done True Beverly Hills, which is also amazing. And we should probably cover it. With Shelley Long, the same star. I still haven't seen that. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, no, I need Seth. to. Seth. Oh, my God. It's a cruel oversight in my part. Um, you could call the Brady Bunch movie like a part homage to the series and part spoof of it. Um, the budget was $12 million. The box office domestically was $46 million. Uh, and it made fifty four million worldwide, um, so pretty good off of a small budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it got a sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's fresh. Although you know, kind of not overwhelmingly Just not fresh for very long. Like <laughs> better eat it now. <laughs> well, but also, I don't know how good a job uh, Rotten Tomatoes does of qualifying those reviews from that long ago. A lot of them that I looked up were from like 2008, so I wonder if there was some re-release, maybe on yeah, DVD. Yeah, it's like DVD review. Like, well, again, that's just it's... when they uploaded them to the site, maybe, but they were actually written earlier. Okay, they that did have some earlier reviews. Yeah, but... that too. But also, it's like I I don't treat, I, know. I don't treat them as some like accurate barometer of how well, well it was successful liked. enough to get a sequel. So yeah. Um, so Entertainment Weekly at the time gave it an A minus review, and it said the Brady Bunch movie is sly and. <laughs> Entertainment Weekly at the time gave it an A-minus review and said, The Brady Bunch movie is a sly and witty surprise, a mainstream comedy that's savvy enough to celebrate American pop kitsch by deconstructing it. So they, Agreed. They, uh, they were right on the money, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, Roger Ebert said, uh, The film establishes a bland, reassuring, comforting Brady reality, a certain muted tone that works fine, but needs, I think, a bleaker contrast from outside to fully exploit the humor. I have to say I kind of agree with him a little. He wanted it to be bleaker outside. Yeah, like more know, realistic it's... on the 90s. I mean, we'll get to it because yeah. we talk about like tone. Um, I don't know. We've talked off the podcast a little, a little bit. No, not much, though. <laughs> not like much. it's I, I actually really agree with that. I mean, that's what the critics thought. They were kind of like middling on it. Some liked it. Some were like, meh. Obviously, me and Chris <laughs> loved it. Our 13-year-old critics, or however old we were, were yeah. <laughs> two thumbs up Um, my on both coasts. How I'll just, two banes up. How I'll launch into what I feel about it now is I still feel launch? like this is the most <laughs> quotable movie ever. <laughs> it's so quotable still. Like, me and Chris were just, like, looking at each other, like, wait for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we would just, like, talk through the whole movie. So, sorry, Seth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's how it went. Um, no, that was part of the show. I appreciated it. Seth, so you haven't seen it before. I had never seen either of these movies. It was part, watching your reactions was part of what I loved about watching these movies. 
um, because you, I knew that both of you really loved these movies um, and had for a long, long time. And was it the singing or the dancing that tipped you off? <laughs> or the quoting or the smiling and laughing. Or the 70s outfits we were wearing <laughs> while we watched them. I feel like every bit played its part, yeah. you know, like it all added up eventually. Or that time we went to the mall and me and Becky were like <laughs> dancing down the escalator at Sears. Or the time that we were all on a uh, three airplane wide airplane <laughs> and you guys went into the aisles and started doing a dance number and like mm-hmm. pulled a guitar out of underneath a seat. You don't want to know where that was hiding. Actually, no, I kind of do. I'm curious now. Moving on. <laughs> But no, I, I knew that you t- you loved both of those movies, so I was very excited to uh, watch it with you, having had no history myself of actually seen it. I think it's it. really funny that me and Chris both have this reaction to this movie because we did not know each other at the time. And I mm-hmm. feel like if we had known each other in like middle school, we would have definitely been friends based around this movie. And I would have seen Train Spotting <laughs> a whole lot earlier. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I can't remember the first time I watched it. I just remember being like loving that movie so much, thinking it was so funny. Um, yeah, I remember actually like going to camp and that's where a lot of the quoting happened. Was it gifted and talented camp or just regular no, it, stupid people? Camp? It was weight loss camp. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was fat camp. And um, uh, I just, I must have, maybe it was like a, I don't know if all 12 year olds loved this movie or, or I just was in a bunk full of them. But like <laughs> we quoted the movie like all summer and would dance like like do the dance from the movie, like the first movie particularly, um, and like sing Sunshine keep Day on. and oh, <laughs> keep wonderful. on, keep on. We were just, all summer was that. And then I remember, here we go with another Halloween costume in my past, but I was jam <laughs> Becky Brady. has had 600 <laughs> Halloweens, I swear. I In eighth grade, I was jam Brady because I had very long hair down to my waist and I curled the sides of my hair. Oh, and, oh uh, my God. And I had glasses. I'm sure I do somewhere. I wore a 70s-ish dress and boots, like knee-high boots. And I had my glasses, and I did, like, the hair swish. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can still kind of do it, even though I have a bob now. So, like... That's amazing. <laughs> you can't uh, see it. For I'm the sorry, visually guys. impaired, uh, Becky has swished Wait, her I'll hair. Do, I'm going to do the walk, and then... <laughs> Please this don't. will be riveting for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show that Becky's hair is bouncing like Jan Brady's. <laughs> yeah, that was relatively accurate. Yes. We'll, we'll upload riveting. footage of me walking later. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, we're going to upload footage of Becky walking. Our just special features are out of control. <laughs> so that's me. <laughs> that certainly is. Well, I- I'm going to just sit here in silence for a minute for our listeners. I didn't, I didn't mistake that for anyone else, Becky. <laughs> um, She's yeah. a new Jan Brady, Chris. It's just a new Jan Brady. <laughs> she is wearing the giant afro wig. Yeah, I know I saw this movie in theaters, I think with my mom and my sister. Um, I don't know why we went to see this movie, but we did. Um, I think it probably appealed to my mom because she grew up around the time that this show was on. I don't remember if she was a big Brady Bunch fan or not, but she probably saw it back at the time. And so I think that nostalgia factor plus the mix of it being in the real world and kind of making fun of that and making fun of your childhood probably appealed to her. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was expecting anything out of this movie, but when I saw it, I was definitely very amused, even though I didn't get a lot of the specific 
jokes at the time because there's a lot of sexual humor in this that went way over my head. I did really get into the fish out of water stuff. That was that's really my kind of brand of humor. And we were talking about the other comedies that were out. Um, I mean, Clueless and Romeo and Michelle are kind of the two other movies. One was like right before these or around the same time of these movies. And then one was in 97. But I've always, for some reason, been drawn to that kind of humor. And I'm very much not so much into like Adam Sandler or any of those like SNL guys movies. Like the humor I find funny tends to always be female comedians. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but Hmm. that's just what I'm drawn to. Like, Almost every comedy that I like is female-centric rather than male-centric. And I would say that these movies, even though, I mean, technically they're about the Brady Bunch and there's an equal number of men and women, I think the women definitely steal the show for the yes, most part. Yes, I agree. And so I think that... Especially comedically. Yeah. I mean, particularly, like, Jennifer Elise Cox is a hilarious comedian. Oh, my God, yes. Um, Like, just as a performer, in addition to the way that her character is written, she's think the standout like comedian of the oh yeah like she's literally she's moving it every second she plays jan (laughs) yes she plays jan brady and yeah she's like the most neurotic like hummingbird of a person (laughs) i literally like i I watched because i noticed it a little bit into the first movie but throughout both movies she is always moving in every scene, even if it's like just her eyes like darting around. Becky, the room. could you demonstrate how she moves, please? <laughs> <laughs> Becky is again doing something that podcast listeners cannot see her doing. We she should subtitle so, this. She's so funny. Her face her face is funny. Yeah. Oh, I wish she had a career beyond this, honestly. Like she wasn't really in Yeah, I wonder she why did a she didn't do things, but she, yeah. I mean, she still works, but not she's not been in anything like Huge and noticeable. Like, like she should be movies. in like an Apatow movie or like some sitcom or you know what I mean? Like just a CBS procedural. <laughs> <laughs> As the body. Um, she was a body and bones. So, yeah. So by the time I eventually like bought this movie on VHS and then I was very, very excited when there was a sequel coming out because that was the time that I was obsessed with it. But um I'm pretty sure that me and my little sister watched this movie every single day one summer. <laughs> Not really joking. We might have missed like one or two days, but we really just wanted to watch the Brady Bunch movie all the time. We would watch, there are scenes, you know, when they're all in the boxes, the nine boxes, and we would watch them one by one. Uh-huh, I've done that. <laughs> just to make sure that we saw all of the hilarious facial expressions they were making and whatever they were doing. Um and I also bullied my friends into liking this movie, I guess. <laughs> into liking it, not just I mean, I guess it, they did but... like it. No, my friends actually really liked this movie, too. A few of them in particular. And we would Tied do... them down, but they liked it. No. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they... I don't remember actually showing it to them, so I don't know if they had already seen it and they really liked it. It was kind of like Becky you know, said with her camp friends. is like, it seems odd that so many people <laughs> would be into this movie, but I guess I just happened to gravitate toward the yeah. kind of people who would mm-hmm. find this funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we would, you know, not full-on sing and dance throughout the school, but we would, you know, do a, a few lines of sunshine day or whatever. <laughs> and I may or may not have like bopped down the stairs a couple times in time to this music. I had the CDs of both soundtracks, which included the um, Brady songs. 
And uh, Christine Taylor was also my first official celebrity crush. Ooh. Ooh. A fine choice. I was rather known for uh-huh. having a thing for her. I had recognized her from Hey Dude, so I think I was excited to see her hey. in Brady Bunch movie because she was always one of my favorites on Hey Dude. And like in the 90s, she was like around a little bit. She was in The Craft. She was on Friends in a fairly oh, yeah. prominent role. She is married to Ben Stiller. Yeah. She is now married to Ben Stiller. She was on Seinfeld as a girlfriend of Seinfeld, as every single other person uh-huh, in the world was. Yeah. Um, Arrested Development, she had a pretty big part on that, too. So, And Zoolander, I guess. Yep. We have to mention Zoolander. So she was around. There was even a little-known 1996 show called Party Girl that what? she was on that only aired four episodes. Oh, but okay. I definitely watched that show. <laughs> was she the titular Party Girl? She was, indeed. It was based on a Lori Petty movie, I believe. What? Also called oh, Party Girl. Weird. But Lori Petty was not in the show. Um, and I I found that when we were looking at, uh, for our next episode on Buffy, Party Girl aired in the same time slot or like right around the same time slot and then was canceled, eventually making way for Buffy, I believe. So, wow. sorry, Christine Taylor, but you got replaced by Sarah no. Michelle Gellar. No, I'll never be a teen model. I'll never be anything. What's the point of living? I might as well die. I don't really know what I want to talk about this movie other than I just want to say quotes at you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you have like anything specific you want to say, because I'll just keep saying quotes. Why does Marsha get all the attention? (laughs) Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. What am I invisible? Do I not have a voice? I had that idea two (laughs) days ago. (laughs) This is all I want to do. She wasn't (laughs) kidding. I just want to quote the movie. Um, I don't really know what to say about it. I just think it's so funny still. Oh yeah, okay. So I guess we could talk about We could talk about the movie, yes, we could. (laughs) I guess we could talk about, like, the tone. Um, It was interesting watching it this time where I guess, like, considering Roger Ebert's um, criticism of it, I guess it could have been a bit more, like, more 90s realistic to to, um, contrast to the Brady world because there were moments of um, the movie that were more over-the-top in, when they're in the real world and it was like super like physical comedy and it was a little bit more like, oh, that was a little cheesy when mm. the Brady stuff is supposed to be cheesy, not the other stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird mix. I think that they were trying to appease both a family audience and a more sophisticated audience and the family audience stuff is pretty clunky. It's very home alone, like physical comedy of like things that would literally kill people if it happened in real life. But just like played for laughs in the movies. And like, I think that's a very 90s thing because I feel like a lot of 90s movies had a lot of really, really broad physical violence and things. Think about it like exclusively an R-rated thing is a very recent development. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was very much like a more PG and PG-13 world for comedy as a genre, you know? So like it kind of makes sense. But watching it for the first time, I definitely think that it chooses silliness over, like, comedy Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, And sometimes that does end up being funnier, but I, especially, like, in light of how Eber put it, but really just even coming away from watching both of these movies back-to-back, it kind of felt like they pulled some punches. Or at least it definitely played out the interaction between the Bradys and the outside world differently than it would now. I think it definitely would be a lot darker now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. probably a lot funnier to me. Um, but there are also, like, a lot of funny, like, absurd parts of it, especially in the dialogue, that still made it really funny. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this that was a good thing or not, because in a way, it's like if I was a parent, I don't know if I would want my kids to see this because there's a lot of sexual humor. But as an adult, I watch it and there are like six or seven physical gags that I just find really, really amateurish and kind of like yeah. dumb. And I'm always like those yeah, parts always come on and I'm always like, oh, here's the scene where he gets electrocuted with the electric wire that he thinks is a jump rope. And it kind of. It makes That's me embarrassed to love the movie so much when mm -hmm. I, I'm like, oh, there are some really bad moments, and yeah. I just completely check they out of those moments. As well. That's the weakest link by far, and I also think that's a thing that wouldn't be made today, now in no. the same way. Not at all. Yeah, you know what you were talking about? Like today, they would have it would have been darker, like it would have been R-rated, and I feel like the movies that like Apatow makes now, especially, I don't think he did Twenty One Jump Street, but um, that is what it was his name. Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it feels like it would have been something like that, like where it's very knowingly winky winky um, and it's completely like not even the same thing and it's more R rated and people are cursing and there's like sex jokes. And I feel like if this was made today, that would have been, it would have been that. But I think it might have been smarter to do it the way that they did because then they could kind of market it to families and it's not really like not okay for families. You know, you can bring your kids to it and. Like, I mean, I went to it. I didn't really get the sexual jokes. I was fine. Like, nothing in it yeah. was, like, so raised. I mean, you were watching <laughs> but I didn't get. Spotting. But I didn't get the sex jokes. Yeah. Like, maybe at some point I was like, oh, but, like, yeah. I didn't need to know, you know. Exactly. And yet like, it yeah. will also, like, it feels like a Pixar movie in a way what? to me. Because it <laughs> it has jokes that appeal specifically to adults that adults are, like, haha, and their kids don't even, like, realize that that's a joke. But they don't make, like, condom jokes in Pixar movies. No, but just, like, the le there, it's pitching to two different audiences. There was that scene where Wally got fucked, though. <laughs> oh. at, 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 pitching to two different audiences at the same time. Yes. And I think that's what this movie does. Yes, it's true. Um, And so, I don't know, I... Because I like the 21 Jump Street movie okay, but I like this movie so much more. And so I am I kind of like the fact that this movie is still slightly wholesome. Like, even though they're around the edges, there's this naughtiness. But in general, like, the, it still treats the material, like, seriously enough where, like, this family really is as crazy as they are. But they're functional and they're actually, like, happy. And mm -hmm. you believe that these people live in their own bubble and are happy and like fine with it and it, it's kind of like the rest of the world that's fucked up and you like you see their neighbors the dip Myers, and they're both like miserable people their kids are miserable people and even though like the brady's are the butt of the joke of the movie it's like they're also like happy and they're they're like doing fine and they're perfectly fine you know the way that they are and don't want to change and it's the world around them that doesn't so i kind mm -hmm. of like that the movie itself reflects that in a way of just being, even though it's a satire, it's also genuine in way, like the world of the Brady's themselves is genuine, I think. Right, and they commit to it fully. Yeah. It's not a thing that's mocked. But I would definitely want to get rid of some of those like wackier physical jokes. If I, like if it, you know, I'd just be like, let's. Yeah. Because that do, it does kind of mix, it makes, because it's the Brady's that are ridiculous and the real world that's supposed to be real, but then it mixes the real world with the ridiculous mm -hmm. of that. And then that's not really what the joke of the movie is supposed to be. Like, that's a Home Alone thing. Mm -hmm. I want to point out that for me, uh, one of the standouts of both movies is Gary Cole. 
He is oh, a he's great. He's a character actor who you've seen and loved in Veep, in Office Space, in a bunch of things, a bunch of random things, <laughs> many other things, uh, <laughs> so many things. Like he's been in, he's been active for decades. Very Donald, he's so done a great things. job. Just so many things. Bigly. But he plays uh, Mike Brady, the dad. Yes. And he's absolutely, he's just tremendous. He's uh, has a very Afro hair and is just perfect. He's like pitch perfect. And you can tell that they're all aiming somewhat toward uh, aspects of the characters from the original series, like uh, embodied by the previous actors who played those roles. Um, but they also, at, like, the best of the performers definitely make them their own. And I'd say, like, Gary Cole and Christine Taylor. Uh, and who played Jan? Jennifer Leescock. Yeah, those were the standouts for me. I have to ask a question. Have you ever watched The Brady Bunch, like, the regular show? Because yes. I think I probably watched it, but not to the degree that I would even, that I even got any of the references in the movie about what this is or what that is. Yes, I had seen it, and no, I did not like it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I must have seen it before I saw the movie because I was very aware of what the Brady Bunch was and the overall thing. And I knew it was kind of like a goofy, wholesome show that is like at this point embarrassingly wholesome. Like, I think it was even like that at the time that it aired. Mm -hmm. I I think I I remember even my mom saying that like, because like, I think when you're a kid growing up in the 90s and you see it, you're like, oh, everyone in the 70s must have loved this. But it actually was, like, embarrassing even at the time. So, like, like Full House. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I, it was definitely the Full House of its day. And it was, I, I, when I was researching this, I realized it was never, like, number one show or anything. It was oh, always, like, it didn't have the greatest ratings. It actually got oh. much more popular in reruns, and that's when most people saw it. Um, so, yeah, I had the sense that it was this big hit that everyone in the 70s just adored, but that's not the case whatsoever, I don't think. And so, yeah, I had seen it, and I know that I watched it more after I saw the movies because it was kind of more fun than to watch it and be like, oh, that's this joke from, like, mm-hmm. I would especially try and seek out the episodes that I knew that they made fun of in the movies. Um, like Marsha getting hit with a football. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, how many references are we talking? Honestly, Tons. Oh, my it God. Seems like like, a, it seems yeah. like a ton. Because I, I know like, I'd seen some of them. I'd seen several episodes of Breaking Not Beach. only, like, plot things, like her getting hit in the nose or George Glass or the House of Cards, like, solving a bet thing. Um, but, like, just tiny little things, like that horse that is in the sequel that is, like, this antique was in the show's run, just in the background, or just like things that like quotes that people say or reference in the background. Like actually while watching this, I was thinking that I do not envy the writers that had to watch so many Brady Bunch episodes so that they could like pick which plots would be funny or like which references would be funny. So was it, do you know, do do either of y'all know about the writing of it? Was it somehow constructed in a kind of paint by numbers fashion i mean i have i have the first brady bunch movie as having four different writers the second one did too so i think it was like a team and then maybe another team took it over and did like their own version of it um i don't think they worked together like all yeah i was there's not a whole lot of like lore on the internet about (laughs) the development of this movie unfortunately i would love to know like was it an exec like was this a pitch were they like, let's make a Brady Bunch movie, and some brilliant writers came in and were like, we're going to do this really subversive take? Or was it already the studio's idea, and we're like, oh, we want to make a like 
spoofing the Brady Bunch movie. Like, Considering I don't know. this was 95 and Adam's Family was 91, I bet you Adam's Family already did that. And then the executives for this movie, which I think was Paramount, were like, let's do that, but with yeah. other properties that we own. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's just do the exact same thing. Worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, actually, they had a wheel of franchises. They spun it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's landing on the, oh, oh, the oh, monster. Oh, monster. Monster. Oh, Brady. Brady. It's Brady. So I think it's really interesting watching this movie now because there's so much 90s stuff in it. So that much. Even though so I guess much. Ebert criticized it for not being too grounded in the real world, you really get a sense of time with this movie that I think you'd. Like, a lot of movies are dated that are from the 90s, but this one is like, oh, that's definitely 1995. Like, it's not Fashion even 1994 wise, or 1996. Yeah, flannel is everywhere. Grunge. Uh, pleated khaki shorts. That's 96, yeah. That's in the sequel. A Pearl Jam reference. Mm-hmm. And oh. the whole soundtrack was grunge. Like, yeah. I said we had the soundtrack, and I had it mostly for, like, the ridiculous Brady songs, not so much for the grunge, but all the grunge was on there, like... That was probably really kind of one of my first real exposures to grunge was through this movie. Like, I wasn't yeah. really big into Nirvana or Pearl Jam at this time. Like, it took me a couple of more years to hear a lot of that music. The Vision of Los Angeles, I think, is also funny. Just that opening montage that is yeah. both dated and very specific to that time. Right, but right. now is is very dated. And it's just funny watching this movie now because it's... The joke is that the 70s are so ridiculous in the cool, cool 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like the 90s arguably look more ridiculous than the 70s even do. They should do another Brady movie now where we look back at the <laughs> night. Like, it still takes place in the 90s. Brady But they're plus making fun 20. of the 70s, but we're also making fun of the 90s. And then everyone explodes. <laughs> <laughs> I still maintain uh, Brady babies. Uh, much like I will suggest for Buffy, <laughs> Buffy Babies would be a perfectly good spinoff. Uh, Brady Babies. Just is... babies, at, train spotting babies. Let's do all the babies. <laughs> train babies. There's actually a baby in train spotting. So. I mean, I do think that this movie is specifically <laughs> heightening all the 90s stuff for the joke. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think sure. that if this was trying to be like, this is exactly like the 90s, I think that's already kind of a joke in the movie. And just... You see a lot of, particularly 90s movies, making fun of L.A. and how out-of-touch L.A. is. And so I think the fact that this takes place in L.A. is very specific. And I, I think that 90s-ness is also mixed with, like, L.A. satire to make everything just seem more heightened and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting, I think, to look at this movie just through gender and everything, just because, like, it's funny because the seven like the characters are locked into these stereotypes that they were in the 70s so that... In the sequel, they make a reference to what must be a real thing is that the girls all wanted a sewing machine and the boys all wanted a rowboat when Mm -hmm. they had some money to spend. And so, I mean, I think that this movie is very much in on that joke in that, like, that's supposed to be ridiculous. And it's weird because these, like, all of the female characters act in ways that we would find offensive if they were being played straight, you know, because all the women are very subservient and just, like, they're very locked in. Like, Marsha's like Mrs. pretty. Mrs. Brady is always like, listen to your father. Yeah, exactly. And Alice is just, like, happy being a maid and cooking for everyone. Like, it, it's all would be offensive, but it, it the movie's just so obviously in on the joke that it's... It's in on the joke, but at the same time, I felt like they could have taken a next step beyond that and had them subvert that and have the women discover their own 
uh, desires and wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not that from movie. Men, it's yeah. definitely not that. And if it was I, and like I a think TV show, like, like if a this Pleasantville spoof kind of was thing. A, if this spoof was a TV show, I feel like eventually would have they would have gotten there in an episode, but. Yeah. Well, but it could be a Pleasantville thing, but it could have been another avenue for a lot more comedy, I think, because then they'd be pursuing things that they don't really have a context for women being able to do. Like, I feel like there's a lot that's left on the table when they choose to do it that way, because um, I do kind of think they're playing it straight. And I don't think I'm necessarily offended by it, but that's only because it's obviously like the time capsule that they emerged out of was what it was. There is one joke that I did not get for a very long time where Alice in the first movie says to Mike Brady, careful, don't bend over because the newspaper boy hit her in the ass with a newspaper. Uh But considering he's known for um, having AIDS, I think that that was maybe a very poorly... Who's known for having AIDS? Uh, The real Mike Brady. Oh, like the actor. Yeah. Not uh, the actual dad in the show. (laughs) No. (laughs) Off oh, camera. I didn't know that. But he was gay, and um, the lore behind the show is that oh. he was always the one that hated the show and always wanted it to be more grounded, and he hated like how broad the humor was of huh. the show. I read the book Growing Up Brady by Barry Williams, who played the real Greg in the original show, and he talks about, because um, he actually did date Maureen McCormick, who played mm-hmm. Marsha, and they were like apparently making out in Tiger's doghouse during <laughs> takes. And he also, like, had a real thing for Florence Henderson, who was playing his mom. And she took him out to dinner once, and he thought it was a date, and she didn't, or whatever. I think she was married, or... Anyway, that one joke, if that is what that is suggesting, which I've... I think someone has suggested that before to me, because I didn't get it personally, but that one is a little bit... I don't know. It makes I don't sense know if in the it's movie, implying but that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's at all implying that. Do you guys are you guys a fan of RuPaul in these movies? Yes, I am a tremendous fan of RuPaul I in these think movies. It's actually kind of great that she's in this movie. Yeah, and it's like showing that the '90s is more about like gender fluidity became like a thing, and and she's shown in such a positive light. Like she's not. She's a, a goddamn jo- counselor. She's yeah. not really like a joke. Like it's kind of a joke that. Jan is going to um, RuPaul for advice, which is probably the last person you'd think a Brady would go to for advice. But mm. I thought I liked it a lot. I like that. Cameo. Yeah. And there's nothing that's remotely patronizing about it or puts RuPaul down at all. It just like is perfect outlet for her to be her. Um, I don't yeah, think it would be I possible to put RuPaul down because I, I don't <laughs> think that she would like she would just rise above it and like slash <laughs> right. through whatever was being oh, yeah. put off no, on instantly. her. I think the joke in the 90s is kind of supposed to be like, oh, my God, there is a person who is gender fluid or whatever you would say about RuPaul as a guidance counselor. Like, isn't that crazy? But again, yeah, it's not done in a mean way. It's done in a very accepting way where, you know, she actually has good advice and uh, she seems to be a positive role model for Jan. And she's very much respected. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got three daughters. One of whom <laughs> One is, is named Moesha. Moesha, Moesha, Moesha. <laughs> it's a silly joke, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> How many times have I told you not to fight with your sister? But she started it. Only she never gets yelled at. Everybody loves Moesha. Moesha, Moesha, Moesha. 
So I think for the whole that the first movie like really holds up. I think there's a few moments that are like, eh, that could have been rewritten or, you know, mm-hmm. not so great. But uh, on the whole, I still think it's super funny. Yeah, I have to shout out just to the cast in general. We picked out a few people, but I think even though a lot of them are not well known, they were very well cast for their role. Like Paul Sutera as Peter is like just very mm-hmm. funny as like the awkward go- boy going through puberty. Um Christopher Daniel Barnes playing Greg, who is also the voice of Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid for a bit of nostalgic trivia. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think we all think Jennifer Lee Cox is kind of the standout. Yes, I love as her. A Amazing. Um, but Shelley Long is great, especially, I think, in the sequel, like just the faces she makes in that physical comedy. She's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, Shelley Long is great in both of them, actually. Yeah. And Christine Taylor just, I mean, the writing of that character is also, that's just, like, the funniest character to me. Cut one. my hair! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just the Tell joke you, of quote the whole, the whole yeah. show. How <laughs> narcissistic she is. And I also like the fact in this movie that they had a hard job to, like, cast, because she's supposed to be, like, so popular, and yet also the joke of the movie is that they're ridiculous, and I think they do a good job of, like, towing that line where she's, like, she's obviously hot. Like, the po- the hot guy in school wants to go out with her, yeah. but he only wants to go out with her so he can, like, have sex with her and then dump her. And so it's, like, you, you believe that she could be popular in a way and yet also, like, a complete joke. Yeah. So let's move on to a very Brady sequel, which came out the following year, 1996, it had the same budget, $12 million, which I thought was kind of interesting because usually they give you a bigger budget if you are a hit and there's a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time it made only $21 million domestically, so it wasn't as successful. So Diminishing returns. Yeah, and it got 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert at the time said, I didn't laugh much during a very Brady sequel, but I did smile a lot. <laughs> so wow. kind of a middling review there as well. Again, same page with Roger here. Yeah, so I... When I was younger, I loved this movie just as much as the first movie and, like, loved the mushroom sequence, loved, like, the whole sexual tension with Marsha and Greg. Yes, and- Greg. Oh, yes, Greg. Yes, Greg. <laughs> We've literally been doing that all weekend. <laughs> yes, Greg. Yes, Greg. Um, but we – so right before we recorded this podcast, we put it on and watched it together, and I, I – don't think it's as good as the first one. Hmm. And it's interesting, like, half the movie takes place inside their house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if the cast got a, a pay raise, but the budget no, of the honestly, movie didn't. No, it's at least two-thirds or three-quarters of this movie right. takes place inside And then house. Hawaii. Yeah. And they then, spent all their money on going to Hawaii and in went, that giant plane. Yeah, that's also yeah. true. Maybe they spent all the money in Hawaii. It's just like, <laughs> it's not really about the Brady's, the Brady's in the real world. It's more about, like, Sky coming in and hijinks. So it's not as strong a you know premise as the first movie was about a fish out of water kind of thing it's less about that and it's just like it feels like a long episode of it feels like a 45 minute episode that that was my exact exact first reaction and it's starting really early on and watching the movie too yeah like even in the first couple of scenes like you just get the feeling this is a long episode of a show it did not feel like a movie to me yeah it didn't feel as you know interesting or compelling as the first one i mean there's still totally funny moments but yeah as a whole it was like all right <laughs> like i basically agree with you guys but i also find this movie slightly more rewatchable than the first one like oh, really? i think in a way i enjoy watching this one a little bit more on the whole and i think it might be because there's less of that physical comedy there's a couple of Goofy things like Peter hitting the boss in the head with the nunchucks and... I just think... I think it's a lot less funny. See, I find the comedy about the same. And I think I like the musical numbers in this one, like, slightly better. 
Um, and that's always been part of what I really liked about the Brady Bunch movies. So just on a level of like having seen both of these movies like dozens of times each probably that like when you get to a certain point, I find this one just easier to rewatch because there's less that I don't like about it, even though I would say the premise of the first one is definitely better. I think that was an interesting point about it feeling less like a movie because I hadn't considered that before. But mm-hmm. the early scenes of this second movie definitely feel like a TV show. And the first movie does have a movie premise, whereas this one has pretty like silly premise. Like there's nothing in this movie that's really like, look at them be crazy in the real world. It's more like just a whole episode of the Brady Bunch because even the villain is like super kind of over the top and ridiculous and there's nothing that makes him very like grounded or real. And he could have just yeah. stolen the statue. Yeah, like, like he the premise seem... of it is that the bad guy in the second movie insinuates himself into the Brady household, pretends to be Carol Brady's first husband. It's, it's so elaborate plot-wise when he could have just stolen this thing that he's going after in their house. Yeah. But it's a very Brady way to but then, but have a plot. He should be less Never Brady. do it the easy way. He should be less Brady-ish, and somehow he gets, like, suckered into being in there. Maybe he but, like, get, he's, like, he a got, real person. If he were just trying to, like, break in and steal it and then got caught by the family and then just as insinuated himself, like, that would... It could have been a more believably done way and, again, could have been funnier. I do think it's funny that he is both, like, taller, sounds different, and looks different than her ex, and she's still so gullible that she will believe that it's him. He could have done that if he was stealing the horse and just said, hi, I'm your husband. I agree that that would be better because it's a bit of a leap for him to... Like, the joke is that they are so warped that that they would believe that, but I don't necessarily know that he should know that they're that warped Mm -hmm. that they would believe it. Like, he should have maybe had a better plan and then relied on and been like oh wow they actually believe that right. like i right. don't even have to have the elaborate plan that i had in the first right. place because he should be the straight man in this movie and he's not he kind of is but i feel like this movie is substitute like the joke of the first one is the entire 90s of normal people is put against them and here it's just this one character he like kind of mm-hmm. represents all of that like he's the straight man who's reacting to them versus like the first movie had, like, everyone in the world besides the Bradys was a straight man, kind of. Yeah. And so it's a lot for one character to do. And the character, I would say, is not as well... Like, I think you could come up with a better character to put in this movie who had a little bit more to do. Like, it's fairly broad, the way that Tim Matheson plays it and is written. Like, there's some funny stuff, like the tripping with the Bradys is pretty funny. But But even that could have been pushed farther. Mm-hmm. Like watching it this time, it's it starts off funny and you feel like it's going to get somewhere ridiculous and it never gets to that ridiculous place. Yeah, Jan and Marsha have always been my favorite characters and I like that this movie really like grabs what was funny about them in the first movie and just kind of like pushes it up one extra notch. So like Marsha's even more like self-obsessed and more likely to be like, this is all Jan's fault and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And the hair is like several degrees more insane. Oh yeah, everyone, like Marsha's doing hair flips that are crazy. Jan, could you demonstrate Jan's <laughs> hair again for us? Um, it's yeah. it, like her, like Jan's pen, penguin-like walk is even more pronounced in the second movie. I'm worried about their necks in this movie. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like there was spinal damage done. Yeah, so I enjoy just the heightened level, like, because it basically took, it, it feels in a way like fan fiction where it takes like what you liked about the first one and just like is like more, more, more of it. But I feel like probably what I would have written if I was, you know, 
making this movie at the age of 14 because I was like, I just want more of Marsha and more Jan. And yeah, it's not, it's definitely not great uh, premise by any means. Like it's not really doing anything new, but it is taking all the things that I liked and just doing more mm-hmm. of it. And I that like satisfied me at the time that the movie came out. And now I'm just ingrained in my soul so much that it's comfort food it might as well be a limb (laughs) (laughs) a very brady limb (laughs) so we should talk about um a little known tv movie of the brady's called the the brady bunch in the white house something that i did not know existed until a few days ago and i'm a brady fan i'm a fan of these movies and i didn't even know existed you're a buncher i'm a buncher and I did not know Long this existed. Long time buncher here. And then First I, time White House. And then I try. It's on YouTube in several parts. I don't recommend you watch it. <laughs> uh, I tried to watch the first few minutes and I could not get through it. And the only people that return are Shelley Long and Gary Cole. Which is weird because they're the biggest stars. Oh my God. Everyone How else they get is like. Into that one? It's like bargain basement, like. Sorry, actors that are in that movie, but like, oh, I don't even know who these people are, but it's like a clone of a clone of a clone. And then like the performances are off. They just look weird and different. And the filmmaking of it is like off. It's just like the most amateur. It So it premiered on television November 29th, 2002. What? So that was six years after the sequel and also a year after (laughs) 9-11. And they put a movie up called The Brady Bunch in the White House. Like Becky, I have never seen this movie all the way through. I have, I have been aware of its existence for a very long time, watched a few minutes and could not get through it. Like if the, if the Very Brady sequel is like everything I liked about the Brady Bunch movie, this is like the nightmare cousin to that where it's like everything I liked now sucks and it's just like in your face. Like it's like you liked all the performances. Well, here's some bad performers doing worse jokes just so like this that. Is, this is the Trump of Brady's. <laughs> Yeah, it's Ugh. and the premise of the movie is just like makes no sense. It's something about they win the lottery and get to what? go to the White House, and then somehow <laughs> Mike Brady in, like to know runs for vice president, and then I for, the president gets found out to be a crook or something, which is not something that's <laughs> that <laughs> that could never really happen. And uh, so then Mike becomes the president, and so Carol becomes Wait, the vice what? president. Yeah, so, he's so the, that's he's how that the happens. President. He's the president in this movie. That's why they're well, in the White I'd House. Well, I'd rather him in the White House right now, actually. <laughs> so. That is true. He would run under Make America Great Again. <laughs> He'd be like, Make America Brady Again. <laughs> that's what the name of this movie should have been. Now we'll make that movie. Oh, my God. So um, our recommendations are watch the first one, watch the second if you've got time. Don't watch Brady's in the White House. Well, it's just hilarious because you've heard how much Becky and I are obsessed with this and yet neither of us could even put in the time to fully watch this no, movie. No, no, no. It's that bad. Yeah. It's just it's just incredibly painful. And so I, um, for the purposes of this podcast, I bought a Very Brady sequel so that we could watch it. And even though I only bought one of the movies, they shipped me four. <laughs> so I now <laughs> own The Brady Bunch in the White House, as well as Growing Up Brady, the movie version of Barry Williams' book, which I watched Jesus. about... 10 minutes of <laughs> and is about as good as the Brady Bunch in the White House. Oh, Slightly less painful because it's not, it's trying to be more of like a backstage documentary. It's more like one of those like lifetime, like, okay, like the Save by the Bell thing. It, uh-huh. it plays like that, but it has, um, 
Adrian Brody as Barry Williams. What? Oh my God. And Kaylee Kuko. I don't know how to say Kaylee her Kuko. name. From Kaylee Kuko. Kaylee Cuoco? Big Bang Theory. Yeah, Kuko? from Big Bang Theory. Kuko? And she's Marsha or um, oh Maureen McCormick. It's what? not It's not so good, but I don't know. It was kind of <laughs> interesting to watch for five minutes. Sounds so, like a good uh, drinking hate watch yeah. kind of, kind so of that, thing. That one came out in 2000. That was also a TV movie. I don't remember where it aired, but so there's extra Brady stuff for you if you're masochistic and really need more than the first two movies. But How much did you spend for that gaggle of Brady's? Uh, six dollars, <laughs> I believe. That is money well spent. Yeah, a dollar fifty per movie. One dollar more than Suicide Squad for four times the movie. I'm never paying for Suicide Squad, <laughs> ever. Well, you can borrow Brady Bunch in the White House anytime you want. Yeah, that's the, I'm part of the Suicide Squad if I watch that movie. <laughs> I'm just looking at this now. The movie poster for Brady Bunch in the White House is them flying on a magic carpet American flag. Wait, what? No, I'm going to have There's nothing this. about this that. I don't good. believe you. The Brady Bunch is flying on a magic carpet. Uh, that is the American there, flag. No, 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 no. You're not describing it in appropriate detail. The poster for Brady Bunch in the White House is the entire family arranged behind the White House press room lectern, which is itself on an American flag <laughs> magic carpet. Yes. That is stupendous. And yet, I still find this more believable than what's actually going on behind the, <laughs> the White House podium today. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe we need to give this movie another shot. And so. that's all the Brady we have time for today on the When We Were Young podcast. The When We Were Young podcast is a product of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. There are several ways you can reach us, but there's one thing that we really would like you to do, which is leave us reviews. You can subscribe to us and rate and review us on iTunes. And you can follow us and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show, on Twitter at show. You can email us at our Gmail account at www.yshow at gmail.com if you have suggestions for future episodes, things that we should revisit. And you can also contribute to our show and help us defray the cost of making a show entirely for free for you by donating to us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash when we were young. On our next episode... We're doing Buffy, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's Christmas. We put the Chris in Christmas <laughs> by revisiting Chris's favorite thing in the world, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the television series. But that's all we have for today. I have been Seth. I'm Chris. And I'm the new champ, Brady. Yes, Greg. <laughs> Let's knock over a 7-Eleven. <laughs> Thindy. Oh, Thindy. I think I'll take a walk every day now. The summer sun show me the way to be happy now. I just can't stay inside all day. I gotta get out. Give me some of those rays. Everybody's smiling. Sunshine day. Everybody's laughing. Sunshine day, everybody seems so happy today. It's a sunshine day. Can't you hear the sunshine day? Not a sign of the same. Can't you hear?